0: KRCL, Salt Lake City.
1: Koi Studio is an in-house, sustainable cut-and-sew studio at Clever Octopus that utilizes reclaimed textiles to create one-of-a-kind tote bags, fanny packs, dop kits, dog bandanas, dog toys, and more. All was available at Clever Octopus, 2250 Southwest Temple in Salt Lake and online at cleveroctopus.org
2: COI-studio. I am Nick Burns. This is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, a show for community builders, punk rock farmers, and a show for DIY creatives everywhere. Thanks for plugging into your community with me this Wednesday evening. Tonight on the show wow the legislative session just started and with all the news about the dwindling nay we say dying great salt lake and this is in spite of the snow which has added about a foot to the lake level but that's really kind of nothing still with all this and with the legislature just starting we're going to talk on the show tonight about what's going on up on the hill and what we'd like to see going on up on the hill about water, about air quality, the ongoing mega-drought. And we'll just take a look at the priorities and some of the ideas that environmentalists environmentalists everywhere would like to see move forward and we'll try not to do that with too much of a cynical edge. So joining us will be Heal, Utah, also Dr. Brian Mensch from Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment. Uh, and later in the hour, Laura Jones will share a conversation that she had with Dr. Morgan lyon of the Hinckley Institute of Politics and Utah Women Run. And this is, of course, against the backdrop of day two of the general session of the Utah, Utah rather, legislature so Laura that's pretty cool conversation
1: yeah yeah all this tonight and folks what we're really trying to do and have done with this show since before my time starting with your time perhaps is get y'all involved give you some some tips some tricks some tools some inspiration and opportunity to have your say.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've had so many people on the show and you hear this nationally and locally both, it's like write your legislature, call your legislative officials, you know, reach out, but there's more that you can do. And that's something we try to push here, that there are other ways to get involved beyond the infamous email.
1: Yes, the infamous email. <laughs> Shall we do some rallies and resources? Yes. Let's okay. hit up
2: the rallies and resources because I know you got a list.
1: All right. So yeah. um, let's talk about something that's non-legislature first. Okay. And that is the Teen Winter Ball that gives high school students a night to remember at the Salt Lake County Library. It is this Friday night, 7, 10, 7 to 10 p.m. at the libraries, the county library's Viridian Center. That's out on 8030 South, 1825 West, And uh, it doesn't cost you anything to attend. You just need to register at thecountylibrary.org slash winterball. And it's an effort to provide an inclusive, safe, and fun night for high school teens. A not-so-formal formal formal dance. You're encouraged to dress up. There'll be a scavenger hunt, photo booth, no-charge beverages, and an indoor snowball fight. Don't know how they're going to (laughs) pull that off. But, uh, you know, formal wear is encouraged but not required, and you get to express your personal flair for fashion.
2: And this is an inclusive event. So, again, against what's going on up on the Hill, pretty cool.
1: Yeah, some things that may be happening. But I just love all the stuff the County Library does for teens in particular. And we'll put a a link in the show notes, but also rallies and resources at krcl.org, along with the following information about... Utah Transit Authority's announcement earlier today. They'll be offering zero fare system-wide February 12th through the 21st to celebrate the NBA All-Star events hosted by the Utah Jazz. Also, Nick Burns, the entire month of February for those traveling through Salt Lake City International Airport or Provo Municipal Airport, there is zero fare on all UTA services on their flight date. You just have to show your online your airline boarding pass, printed or digital, to the UTA operator. And they say also to look for special performances along UTA from Joy Mob events, DJs at the Gallivan Center, and basketball, of course, related
2: to the NBA All-Stars. So a bunch of... Well, okay, I was going to go right to the cynical, so maybe I should we did that earlier, right? But but, But but I am cynical about it, too. But the free fair February is something that many people are advocating that should be a February, March, April, May, June, et cetera, free Uh fair UTA always, which would be amazing. Mm -hmm. But we'll start with February.
1: Lawmakers are saying another tax cut in the works during the legislative session
2: and um, that's
1: because we have a huge surplus.
2: And you see that federally too, this move, and it won't go anywhere, but to, to eliminate income tax completely and make a national sales tax. So again, give away to the rich, which tends to be what our income tax cuts do here is serve the rich also.
1: Yeah. So anyway, time to pay attention to clean air coming up tonight. We're going to be talking with some folks about that. I wanted to go back a bit to the weekend, though, Okay. with our special guest who's joining us in studio from the Salt Lake Community College Globe. Nick Burns, freshly retired from (laughs) Salt Lake
2: Community College.
1: Congratulations, my friend. Thank you.
2: I'm trying to catch up on sleep, but thank you very much. Feels good. So
1: Johnny Tolstrup is with us, and Johnny is editor-in-chief in Radio news director at the globe the student-run newspaper and he's a graduate of the class that did this show a year ago mm-hmm. for many nights uh, ev- throughout the semester
0: yeah it's great to be back in studio with you laura i yeah. mean previously we'd been doing kind of like the record to live yeah. and it's it's just nice to be sitting in this in a room and actually in studio doing <laughs> stuff
1: and you got a reminder for us about the rising journalists who are taking the class
0: yes of course they that program is running again this spring term so Every Thursday night, yep. starting next week, next not this current week. week, not tomorrow night, but the week after that on Thursdays, mm-hmm. every Thursday night at 7? 6 o'clock? 6 o'clock this at the show, same right time. Here. At this time. <laughs> you're going to have some rising journalists from the Salt Lake Community College, including uh-huh. three of our writers at the Globe that will be joining on for that and to be doing programs uh, programming every week.
1: A degree of difficulty, Nick, in that they'll be doing it live. Doing it
0: live.
2: And again, it's this great model that the college has been moving towards for many years. Uh, most folks know that I used to teach a lot of the media and journalism classes, but increasingly, the model, is, the, the model I would pitch it is the teaching hospital model. So Mm -hmm. we want students to be in the classroom and learning the ins and outs of doing good interviews and writing snappy leads, but we want people to be practicing journalists. So this connection between KRCL Community Radio and the Community College Journalists is
1: just pretty cool. It's something that we get to do because of the way we are organized as a nonprofit. So folks, I hope you appreciate that starting next Thursday. Uh, they're gonna be taking over the show but in the meantime you had an assignment to go cover a rally last weekend.
0: I did yeah, I had the opportunity to cover a rally at the Utah State Capitol this past Saturday for the organized by the Save our Great Salt Lake as protests just you know about the crisis at the lake that's happening and you know what hopefully to put some pressure on lawmakers to take that crisis a little more seriously. You brought us
1: some audio let's take a listen. Yes. And we'll talk about it on the other side.
2: There is no chance of us moving the
0: needle unless we show up. So I I don't know if it'll make an impact, but uh, this is all we can do.
2: Go. Journalists from around the world visit Utah, and they
3: say, why are you people using twice the US average of water?
2: There is not enough science in the world that will overcome our selfish behaviors. As an indigenous leader, we are asking for a seat at the table. Uh, Last week, in three days, we got thousands thousand signatures on a petition and had dozens of folks
0: deliver comments against the proposal to build a warehouse district on the Great Salt Lake Wetlands. And we won.
2: (laughs) U.S. magnesium wanted to build all that water on the lake. People showed up, and we won. The legislative session, it's gonna have some good ideas, it's gonna have some really bad ideas. But we're going to show up.
1: And what are we going to do? Voices from the rally to save our great Salt Lake at the Utah State Capitol mm-hmm. last Saturday, brought yeah. to us by Johnny Tallstrip from the Salt Lake Community College, the Globe student run newspaper. Who were those voices in there? Yeah,
0: so that first voice that you heard was one of the protesters that I talked to that at that rally, Landon Krasak, that I really was kind of inspired by that message that he gave there with the, you know, you can't move the needle unless you show up. Yeah. That's, you know, if we do nothing the status quo will remain but if we want to change it you know if we show up maybe it doesn't move but it sure doesn't move if know. we don't show up yeah, exactly
1: <laughs> who else was in there
0: and we also had uh, Darren Perry mm-hmm. uh, speaking as well and Alex Villio mm-hmm. I I apologize to him ahead of time if I have butchered his name uh, i you know I particularly like that quote you know that you know we're gonna see good ideas and we're gonna see some bad ideas in the legislature mm-hmm. and that the role of those protesters and the role of us as citizens is to you know Help guide our lawmakers more towards those good ideas. Was Zach
1: Frankel like, from Utah Reverse Council in there too. I swear I thought I heard. A I question. believe
0: so, yes. Okay. All
1: right. So that is just some of the the work rising journalists are doing. And as Nick, you know, lots of um, newspaper jobs just keep getting cut, even though the Salt Lake Tribune, thankfully reorganized as a nonprofit, is adding folks.
2: Right. The Tribune's actually hiring a few folks. And I wonder, Johnny, for you at the globe. What are you looking to cover for the legislative session? You were up at this rally, of course, from Save Our Great Salt Lake. But what else are you and the the crew that you work with looking to cover?
0: I mean, as far as the legislative session goes, I think our big priority for, like most people, we want to cover a lot about the lake is that, you know, this is probably the biggest issue that is actually facing the state at the time. And, that, you know, this is... The biggest issue for the state. So it's the biggest issue for the Salt Lake Community College community. So that's something that we want to really focus on. Uh, I think there's a couple of other stories that we did like last semester. We had one of our writers, Alexi Zollinger, write a great piece about why teachers were leaving the state. And so there's a couple of bills and a couple of th- things in like Governor Cox's budget proposal about increasing the pay for, for teachers to try to keep them in. So that's definitely something we yeah. want to take a look at and maybe follow up on.
1: I have something I definitely want you to follow on that is the marriage of vouchers and teachers' raises that are being
0: married. Yes, that would definitely be something to look into. Is mm-hmm. that
1: mm-hmm. the public has voted those types of ballot referenda down? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, lawmakers trying to say, well, you want more money for teachers than we want vouchers. Give us vouchers. the vouchers in return.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. We actually had a ballot initiative where, the, where what, six, over 60% of the public voted vouchers down. And mm-hmm. still it keeps coming back. I wonder, Johnny, there's all this attention at the legislature. And this was, I think, true last year as well. It's K through 12, K through 12, K through 12. And mm-hmm. for folks like you who are college students, that seems to kind of be a backseat funding for higher education.
0: A little bit. It does kind of feel like that impression. I know uh, last year as part of this, that radioactive class that we did here at KRCL, you know, we were able to talk to some of the legislative liaisons at the college about the priorities. And like, even then, like, you know, they were talking about like there was this huge, I think it was a billion dollar budget surplus last year. And still like it's been like, doesn't seem like a ton is ending up happening at the post-secondary level is that everything is everything is about K through 12.
2: <laughs> I wonder for, for students do they see that connection between sort of the war on education? I mean, we can't have CRT, we can't do this, we, you know, everybody's too woke, blah 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 blah. I wonder is that something that you see is front and center for college kids?
0: Um yes and no. I think that's something that's on their minds, but I don't know if they're really explicitly uh. concerned about it. I think for the most part like a lot of students is that, you know, like Salt Lake Community College's tuition rate went up a few percent percentage points last year. And they're like, hey, like if there's this huge budget surplus, why is my tuition going up?
1: Yeah, well, and that's a – can I pitch you a story to take back to the newsroom?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I'd <laughs> love I'm to hear it. I'm
1: curious about enrollment numbers in higher ed because with inflation and everything um, and higher costs, mm-hmm. I, I'm i reading the stories. And, Nick, I know you have some inside info but that you maybe cannot share. But um, – I think college students of all stripes and ages are saying, is it worth the VIG, is what I call it, the money you got to pay to get that education.
0: (laughs) That is definitely something I am seeing, even not just at the college, just as as I see as just a person that is on the internet and on social Mm -hmm. media platforms, is that college of, that question of, is college worth it, is definitely something that comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe I'm a little biased since I am a current (laughs) college student, but I, I think there's a lot of really great value, especially, you know, not to toot our own horn too hard but like institutions like salt lake community college that are adopting that as you put it the the training hospital kind of model of like you know like you know like we're going to teach you the fundamentals but we're going to have you really do that job so that you can go into the workforce and be ready to go
2: Mm. yeah it's a dilemma i think in higher ed we we're seeing salt lake city schools talking about closing schools as there are fewer kids so i think a a cutback, a drop in enrollment is pretty much I think, gonna happen, it's already happening. I think what, what's a challenge for many institutions of higher education, and it applies to K-12 through 12 also, is the number of students who start and go into debt, and then they owe the VIG, and then they don't finish, <laughs> right, yeah. because life mm-hmm. gets in the way. And I think that's especially a problem for community college students who maybe already have families, maybe they've got other issues, maybe they've got job and other sorts of, uh, other sorts of things just going on in life that many, at the four-year school, if mommy and daddy can afford to have you attend or afford to go into debt and live in the dorm, it's just different. And all those all those ancillaries that are needed for college don't seem to get funded. And then while I think of it, it's just I, I think we need to be careful who gets to tell the story, Johnny, that, yes, there's the VIG, mm-hmm. yes, the, the state funding of Salt Lake Community College, the, the proportion the state pays has dropped by 25% since the mid-'90s. In the mid-'90s, the state paid 75% of the cost of running Salt Lake Community College. Tuition paid 25%. Now it's about 50 50 Back during the Great Crash 10 years ago, 60% of the burden was on tuition. So there's been this pullback, and yet the need of students is only growing. Mm. But I think the story that doesn't get told ultimately, and I think, Johnny, because you're a journalism student, Mm. you get this, and that is it can't always just be about a job, right? It's about being a productive member of society. So if you go to Salt Lake Community College— We want you to take a history class. We want you to take an English class. Maybe how about Psych 1010? There's this general education component that just turns out more rounded citizens. And I fear nationally, not just in Utah, as we see a pullback in funding and a lack of funding for what students really need, that the media message becomes, is it worth it for my job I'm going to get? Yes. Um, Am I going to get a degree and just be a sociologist? Or am I going to go be a doctor? I, and I mm. think we need to see a media environment that paints a bigger picture, and maybe that's something you can do on I, Thursday nights.
1: Yeah, I think we just um, gave him a couple of homework oh, assignments yeah, yeah, or, I mean, or uh, pitches to take back. Yeah, I the know.
0: I know the Globe is a little short staffed this t- mm. this term. We're a little but like as you know, Laura mentioned, we have those radioactive students, and like um. If we can't handle, if we don't have the manpower to handle the story, I'm I'm sure the, those classes are <laughs> well, more than happy to take yeah, those stories yeah, on. Yeah. The college actually
2: <laughs> had to change how that class runs for spring semester because mm-hmm. so many students enrolled. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The crew that's going to be here on Thursday is fantastic.
1: Starting next, a week from Thursday, mm-hmm. I'm already mm-hmm. messed up in my head with legislature <laughs> and Sundance and the regular oh. schedule about what day of the week it is. Just. Yes, oh. it
0: is. There's a lot going on yeah. right now. week from tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Where can
1: people follow the journalism? From the Globe and the radio program, all of the journalism programs at Salt Lake Community College.
0: I mean, for the journalism program, I mean, the easiest, you can go straight to the source at GlobesLCC.com and you can see all of the stories that we're putting out there. If you're more of a social media person on Twitter, we're at globe globe slcc. I know some people are a little leery about Twitter in the recent months as the... Uh, Uh, How did I put it earlier today? You know, the the chaotic tenure of... Yes, puts it on there. But, you know, we're also... We're on Facebook and Instagram at SLCCSMC. So if those are platforms, if you're more comfortable with Zuckerberg than you are with Musk, then, (laughs) you know, Instagram can work out for you as well. But... You know, I would always recommend that you know you go to globeslcc.com and we even have a little link if you want us to send out a newsletter to you so you're always getting that student journalism sent out to you on a regular basis. We
2: will it's put it's all good the work, show work notes.
1: That you do. Yeah, absolutely. So Johnny Tolstrup, editor-in-chief and radio news director of The Globe. S-L-C-C, check tonight's show notes for links. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Of course, happy to come on. Absolutely. So, Nick, coming up, we're going to get environmental perspectives and to get us there. There was some sun earlier today.
2: Yes, there was. So,
1: I've got this Modest Mouse song to get us there. The sun hasn't left on (laughs) K-R-C-L. Radioactive.
0: The Utah Film Center and K-R-C-L present Black Bold and Brilliant a series of events that highlight issues affecting the black communities as seen through the lens of film and media in celebration of Black History Month. The next event on February 1st will discuss the life and legacy of jazz legend Louis Armstrong as seen through the eyes of the daughter the world never knew he had until now. More information is available at utahfilmcenter.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller's Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event. A partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com.
1: Welcome to Radio Active on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones and our volunteer host tonight, Nick Burns. And now it's time for another legislative perspective, day two of the Utah Legislature's General Session. <laughs>
2: feels like day 500, but yes, it's only right. day two. But on the show tonight, we do want to sort of talk about some legislative priorities that some of our local, very successful environmental groups have going on. And I think that's worth a discussion here on day two. So Lexi Tuddenham is joining us by phone. Lexi, hi.
4: Hi there. How are you doing? How are you all? I'm so glad to be here.
2: Well, thank you. And you're the executive director of Healthy Environmental Alliance of Utah.
4: Yes. Mo- Utah. Yeah, mm-hmm. most
2: people know you as Heal Utah. And I know you've got a number of priorities, and you also are offering some lobbying training for us citizen lobbyists. So I want to ask about that as well.
4: Exactly. Good. Well, should I kick off? I'm happy to talk now, or I can wait for you to introduce any other guests.
2: Now let me introduce Dr. Brian Mensch, who's also with us tonight, Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment. Hi, long time no see. Uh, well, thank you very much. We're glad to be here. Welcome back. So I guess I would throw Lexi. Why don't we throw to you first? Because I'm really intrigued by some of the bills that you're already looking at. I know there's been a lot of brouhaha over K through 12 and more oppressive legislation for trans kids, but your focus on the environment. You have a couple bills you're already watching.
4: Yeah. So up on our bill tracker, and we're we're updating it even as we speak with with yet more. Um, We already have a bill from Lincoln Fillmore that it's actually more of a resolution to educate people about the importance of not idling their vehicles. Um, There's also a bill from, uh, I think it was Sandal, who had sponsored a bill to have more radon testing and mitigation in public buildings. So we are, if you come up and lobby with, Heal tomorrow, you would get to learn a little bit more about those bills in detail. But we have a lot of other priorities going on, too. And, and as you, um, as the session rolls on, please do get on our website and check out our bill tracker. It's As I said, it's being updated as we speak, and there will be many, many more bills to come.
2: So tell me about this notion, this bill. It isn't really a bill. It isn't really a law. It's just we're going to ask people to not sit in their cars and idle?
4: Yeah, I think it's really directed towards... Um, education, and okay. while we know that resolutions unfortunately don't have teeth, they don't have the the power to regulate in the way that we would love to see. But it is a really important first step. In many cases, sometimes a resolution can set the stage for further changes down the line. I, I mean, a number of years ago, there was a resolution about using climate change language right at the legislature, right? And there, it's it's really. It's a baby step, but it's an important one. And I think idling is a particularly important area where a lot of people just don't know that they don't have to warm up their cars for 10 minutes before they go out and drive them around. Yeah. They can, And actually, the fuel savings as well as, of course, the emissions are are far greater if you just turn it on and then slowly drive away and, and let your car warm up in that way.
2: And it'll warm up the car will warm up more quickly which is actually better for the car than letting it lug 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 on your driveway. But Lexi you raise a good point that this isn't a bill. There was a bill I believe Salt Lake City had a had a bill I want to say 10 or so years ago against idling and received a lot of derision. And a lot of people at the state house were like, you can't tell people what to do, but (laughs) I appreciate your optimism that, you know, as you said, this is a baby step, but we shouldn't look askance at it. (laughs) Yes, We have to start somewhere. Um, (laughs)
4: there are a lot of other bills coming up as well, but this is, this is one where at least we can support it and we can hope that, um, Perhaps the aversion to regulation will will change over time as it becomes a more accepted way of treating your car.
2: Yeah, good point. And again, it's more I mean, like you say, it's clean air, but it also makes your car last longer too. just start it. Drive it slowly. Don't push your foot to the floor and get where you're going. So thank you, Dr. Brian Mench, bring you in here. Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment, longtime friend of the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We've talked a lot about air pollution with you over the years. I would say we've seen some incremental steps possibly to clean the air, not anywhere near, I think, what the air deserves. But recently I saw this piece from you, from your group, I guess I should say, maybe written by you, about forests and trees. Is that like a new direction for you all? Well,
5: it's it's not a direction that we um, necessarily took because we thought – well, here's another agenda item that we need to fight, uh-huh. but uh, in large part because of two things. One, we started getting complaints from residents throughout Summit County that the Forest Service has been, quote, thinning the forest, cutting down smaller live trees and gathering up forest debris into slash burn piles and setting them on fire. Right. And there are thousands of these piles now throughout Summit County. In fact, the Forest Service is doing this throughout the Western United States because we've since been contacted by people in California, Arizona, and other states.
1: Is this raking the forest floor? This
5: this is apparently (laughs) Donald Trump's version of raking the forest floor, but it's under the auspices that we need this for wildfire management. But this is an absolute public health disaster. The smoke from these slash burn piles that have been set on fire by the Forest Service, is as deadly as any kind of pollution you could possibly be exposed to. And in fact, from a physiologic standpoint, wood smoke is probably the most toxic type of pollution the average person ever inhales. There are a couple reasons for that. One is extremely tiny particles. These nanoparticles are, are typically smaller than what you might get out of a tailpipe or a smokestack. And then they're really heavily saturated with some of the most toxic chemicals that we know of, things like PAHs and dioxins. And, and so from the standpoint of public health, there is absolutely no defense for the, public for, for the Forest Service to be doing that. Now, it's very questionable. In fact, we think that the research is, is pretty strong that this is not an appropriate means of managing the forest mitigate wildfires either.
2: I mean, the, the, the argument I think people have made is we should have little fires like this and that'll slow down the possibility of a big, huge fire. Yeah,
5: and that that doesn't actually pan out. In fact, that's largely a myth. The idea that our forests are overgrown and unhealthy is largely a myth. That might apply to a few localized areas, mm-hmm. but on a broader scale, that is not the case. And independent forest ecologists that have no connection to the Forest Service and that's a, that's a big issue, uh, they, don't think, they don't see that that's true. For example, uh, large trees or undisturbed patches of forest that have dense growth actually resist wildfire, intense wildfires better than logged forests. The, the most important drivers of these intense wildfires of today are climate-related. Their temperature, their drought, and their wind. And logged forests as a whole, that's not in every single case, but as a whole, logging and thinning of forests is not stopping these.
2: I mean, even if there was an argument that thinning the forest would help mitigate fires, you wouldn't have to burn the slash. You could you could do something you know, else with it. Ab, ab, exa- <laughs> you wouldn't have to be lighting a fire with it. I-
5: exactly. And, and this is not taking into, into account the climate consequences. We, we all know that we need intact forests throughout the globe to help mitigate the climate crisis. Well, cutting down all these small trees in, in dense forests under the guise of wildfire management is, is the exact opposite of what we need to be doing. But So we got involved in this issue from the standpoint of, of citizens complaining to us about what the Forest Service is doing, from the standpoint of the air pollution that is created and the public health consequences, and obviously, we're we're a, a an environmental group that has as much concern about the climate crisis as any other environmental group. So, from both of those standpoints, this is a huge mistake.
2: I mean, you see that for folks who've driven parleys, you see those signs regularly: "Controlled burn, don't call." Right? People were busy calling. Oh my God, the fire is on, the forest is on fire, but. The Forest Service lit the fire. It's, a, it's a, interesting. a prescribed or controlled
5: no. burn is just as toxic to your health as any it's other the, kind of is this a case?
1: Is this a case of not letting a good crisis go to waste? Because a Salt Lake County Council member is saying this would be a great way, massive logging to get more water to the Great Salt Lake, but that would require also <laughs> lots of roads in forests that uh, we otherwise generally don't allow.
5: The building of roads in forests for, quote, forest management is one of the the main drivers of forest fires for several reasons. One is that it brings the public more out into the forest, and humans are the main cause of wildfires today, causing something like 85 to 90% of wildfires. So the more Mm -hmm. you open up the forest to the public or give the public access to them, the more wildfires we're going to have.
1: It's a delicate balancing act, right? Access... Versus safety chains that drag, cigarettes thrown out, fires left unattended. All of that,
5: all of that, and, and the, then you then you have wherever you have these creation of roads, you have erosion. Now, uh, <laughs> councilman, uh, what was her name? Dia D- Theod- D- 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 Theodore. D- yeah, Dia Theodore. It sounded like in her piece in the Deseret News, she was advocating this even on the steep slopes of our Wasatch canyons, in Little Cottonwood Canyon, in Big Cottonwood Canyon. That is an unimaginable disaster. Those are steep slopes that if you bring heavy equipment in, (laughs) you're just going to absolutely tear the place apart. And can you imagine the people who look to our canyons for all the, the, the relief of urban life, and they want a little piece of nature to go up there and see. Half the trees are gone because they've been <laughs> logged in the name of saving
2: the Great Salt Lake. So we should make that. Yeah. So when you take the gondola up to the ski resort, you'll see the sea of stumps. Yes. It, oh. it,
5: it just couldn't be a, wor- a worse idea.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. we'll cut down the trees and then the water will go to the lake. It, it's a fairly ignorant. It's a fairly ignorant viewpoint, I think. And I want to bring I, I want to bring Lexi back in, but real quick. When when you when you meet with legislators or others who are decision makers, are they good listeners? Some of them are good listeners. Okay. Uh, certainly not all of them.
5: But, in fact, um, I've actually been, been pleasantly surprised by the receptivity on the part of some of our lawmakers. For instance, we have taken various concerns about pollution to some of them, and, and some real bills have been created. For example... Um, Representative Galen Benyon in Cottonwood Heights has a bill, um, I think it's House Bill 95, that will actually help address noise pollution. Now, we don't think about noise pollution much as a public health hazard, but in fact it is, and in fact a lot of uh, a lot of scientists believe that in terms of urban pollution, after air pollution, noise pollution probably has the greatest impact Mm -hmm. on your health for a lot of the same reasons. So she's got a good bill that's going to help us reduce noise pollution from things like uh, very loud motorcycles, these, these bullet bikes, and motorcycles that have had their pollution control devices
2: stripped from them.
1: Oh, wait a minute, though. I'm thinking of the Moab Sound Wars, <laughs>
2: yeah. Nick. Yes, the Moab Sound oh, yeah. Wars over the off-road the vehicles weekend. that go through. The, and yeah. state
1: lawmakers getting into what is an issue of local control in contravention of the whole notion that the best government is the government that is closest to the people. You
5: know, right. there, there, yeah. there will be plenty of laws, of legislators <laughs> who say, oh, here's another example of, of government overreach.
1: Yeah, blue government overreach, right? But,
5: but we're trying to help everybody understand noise pollution is a public health issue as well. Um, not far behind the issue of air
2: pollution. Yeah. I mean, in terms of anxiety or just talk to those people in Moab who live along those tracks. Lexi, bring you back in here. I wanted to ask about, you know, here we are talking about forests and talking about really ridiculous bills that some people are are floating. (laughs) Um, And all the good work that you do, you have this opportunity where ordinary folks, you know, the you's and the me's and everybody can go up there and get some training from all y'all. I think that's pretty amazing.
4: Yes. Well, I really, I I appreciate the forest health discussion, of course. Uh, A lot of my background was working on on more land and forest conservation issues. But here at HEAL, we are focused on some more specifics around um, dust and air quality and, of course, climate change and, and radioactive and toxic waste. But for those folks who are interested in getting involved, every Tuesday and Thursday of the session from about 9.30 to 12.30, they can come up, get trained, learn about particular bills that we are lobbying on for the day, and talk to their legislators about what they want and what they care about. And we really think that this is the, one of the most important ways in which citizens can engage in do- democracy. And we, we actually call it community lobbying now. because It's certainly not just limited to um, citizens. But the way that it works is that, for, for those, I don't, I don't know how much basics of, um, The legislature, your, your listeners might need covered, but I think it's always important to tell people that this session is 45 days and these legislators are people just like you and me who decided to run for office. And so the truth is that they are not experts in every single bill that comes across their desk. And as we've heard, there are going to be over a thousand this year. That is so many. <laughs> Last year, it was 500 or 600. And this year, how is it? three. Yeah, 300 some bills dropped on the first day. And today, I, I haven't actually kept track of the numbers yet, but it's a lot more. It's it's, it's accelerating. Um, but the thing is, and that, that could be really intimidating for your average person who doesn't know how to engage. And, and bill language, quite frankly, can be quite... Um, Ha- opaque and, and hard to understand in many cases but that's what we're here for we're here to help connect you to the information that you need and to the legislators themselves so that you can make a difference on everything from air quality cl- to climate change um i think one of a, a few of the things that we're focusing on for the session include updating utah's building and residential codes to be more energy efficient
2: Good. Mm-hmm.
4: i think we, we probably have some some listeners who may have heard about the universal building code commission, which many people didn't know about before this year, but I think when they heard from that many people back in August, when they were voting on the adoption of the international energy um, codes, they were pretty surprised by the amount of feedback that they got. And so we have, we've talked about this a lot, but um, along the Wasatch front buildings are slated to become the largest source of emissions by about 2030. So that's, very close and rapidly approaching. So, one of the biggest ways we can make a difference is to update those new building codes, so that when buildings are built, they're they're up to these better standards and um, they're electrified. They, you know, they put out fewer emissions, and over their entire lifetime, their, their lifespan, which hopefully is a long time, if they're built to code with good and sustainable um, building materials, then we will be able to make a significant difference there.
1: Uh, another big thing that we're folks, go ahead. I was going to say, Lexi, you've got several ways for folks to get involved. You've got the lobby training on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but you have your bill tracker on your website. Folks can sign yes. up for a newsletter. There's also action alerts. What, when would you put out an action alert? What uh, can folks expect if they sign up for that?
4: Yeah, so we don't have any very specific action alerts yet, but we will have them. We're already discussing a few. <laughs> um, but the way that that works is that, so if you're signed up for our newsletter, um you will get these action alerts that tell you really specifically. You can do it from in a virtual way or you can come up and, and lobby in person as well. So basically in, in, the, in the action alert that goes out, it, it goes out on social media, it goes out in our newsletter. You'll be able to find it on our website as well, as well as on our bill tracker that you mentioned, Lara. Um, but we'll have an overview of the bill that we're talking about. We'll have an overview of the legislators who are running that bill and the areas that they're from, so that you as a citizen can decide if um, you you have a particular stake in that, whether the effects of that bill might really be disproportionately felt by you or your family members or your loved ones, or perhaps you have an, an in because you're a constituent of that legislator and you have a very strong opinion about it. And so what you can do is you can, you can write them an email, you can give them a phone call, you can oftentimes send them a text, and you can also meet them in person, which I really encourage because I think it's so important to understand that these people, whether or not you agree with them politically, are people just like all of us, right? And one of the most important ways that we can make change happen is to form that human connection. And at the very beginning of the legislative session is often a great time to do that because there aren't quite so many bills. So while the, the legislators are very busy, they're, they're, there's, their tension isn't spread quite <laughs>
2: as thin. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't, the last couple of days going to be difficult. This is radioactive. Exactly. Talking with Lexi Tuddenham, the executive director of the Environmental Healthy Environmental Healthy Environment Alliance of Utah. I want to get that right. Heal Utah, instrumental in stopping more toxic radioactive waste from coming to the state, and still doing good work up on the hill. Dr. Brian Mensch, bring you back in here. Talked about trees, talked about doesn't matter who lit, who lit the fire, the smoke is killing us one way or the other. I'm curious your take on this newest culture war, the gas stove. Um, you know, back in the 1920s, we're cooking with gas because people had been burning wood in their kitchen. So gas seemed pretty cool back then. Now we've got all these different choices. But this war on gas, what do you think?
5: Well, Stove wars. Stove wars. Okay. Uh, The science strikes back. Um, This is really unfortunate that that this has become another element of the culture wars because the science is very clear. Gas stoves are a climate disaster. They're a personal health disaster. Uh, Scientists have actually recently measured, in fact, even when these stoves are off, they're still emitting toxins. About 75% of the overall emissions happen when the stove is off. Now, when the stove is off, we're primarily talking about methane. But a recent study found that, in fact, about 15% of all the methane emissions in California came from natural gas stoves. Now, you can probably say that's going to be true of just about any other state as well. So that's an enormous amount of methane. Now, add to that, when the stove is on, it produces nitrogen oxides, And some of the most toxic chemicals that we know are related to fossil fuel combustion, and that includes the BTX compounds, uh, uh, benzene, ethylbenzene, toluene, and xylene. That's the nastiest of the nasties, and that emits that in your home. And scientists recently likened the amount of overall toxic emissions inside the home to what you would expect from secondhand cigarette smoke exposure. So... If you think it's okay to have in your home uh, your uncle who's a pack-a-day smoker in your kitchen, if you think that's fine, mm. well, then I guess you're, you're good to go. It's much like having a, a diesel truck idling inside oh. your kitchen all day long. So this is a serious health hazard to the families who have these stoves. And here I am sitting with one in my own house. Unfortunately, I'll tell you more about that later when we have more time. But <laughs> the point is... It's a, climate ish, it's a serious climate issue. It's a serious public health issue, and in fact, the measurement of these toxic compounds, nitrogen oxides and, and these other HAPs, is greater or what would exceed the EPA standards for outdoor air pollution. Wow. And so the consequences have been identified clinically as decreased lung function on the part of children, much higher rates of asthma, and even lower cognition and mental development on the part of children we know these these kinds of we know that all air pollution but in particular these kinds of toxins are neurotoxins they impede brain development of children and in fact a study was done that showed that children who grow up in a home with a gas stove end up years later a few years later like when they're four or five with iq deficits compared to controls Of about five points, and genetically susceptible children about double that. So if that's something you can comfortably ignore, I guess you're fine. But if you can't ignore that, and unfortunately have a gas stove, then there are some things you need to do about that. We can talk about that some other time.
2: Oh,
1: have to do a whole show on that because I would out, get takeout. Don't
2: use your stove. Well, I grew up,
1: you know, with a mom who was a great cook, and it was all about gas. We're gonna get that new gas stove put in.
2: Yeah. Where where I live, th- there isn't enough electricity to the homes to move everything to electric, even if you wanted to.
1: That's interesting. That's gas interesting dryers. Conundra. So,
2: Lexi, I'll give the last question to you. You mentioned this: the building codes. We've seen the elected officials up on the hill push back in previous years on changing and making building codes more efficient. But real quickly, we've only got about 30 seconds. Anything about gas stoves in the building codes you're promoting?
4: Oh my goodness, it's, it's part of that entire package. Um, and I've I been tracking this discussion because I've, I I recently heard it described as having a pipeline into your kitchen that you then light. And we don't tend to think of it that way, but that's exactly what it is. And it is what, what has convinced me and my husband and my family to make the switch. Um, and fortunately, one of the great things about it is that there is a lot of money in the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, federal incentives to make those changes, as well as many of the other ones that we've would love to talk about more, but um, I think Very there, good. there are many changes coming along with improvements to hopefully
1: address the Great Salt Lake crisis and the air quality at large. Well, we just have scratched the surface. Yeah, here. we want to have you back. websites and yeah. socials from our guests, <laughs> shall we? Lexi, what's the best website for folks to catch up with Heal Utah? Sign up for all the services you offer to get involved in this conversation.
4: It is Heal Utah, And And if you want to find out more, it's forward slash legislative.
2: Very good. Heal Utah. Thank you, Lexi Tudnam, Executive Director, Healthy Environment Alliance of Utah. Dr. Brian Minch, Utah Physicians for Healthy Environment. How do folks reach you? Our
5: website is uphe.org. We're on Facebook um, and all the other social media outlets. um, And uh, look us up. We've got something going on there every single
2: day. Thank you very much for taking time to join us.
1: We didn't even get to another topic that I want to have you back for, and that is forever chemicals in fish and freshwater lakes, even higher than elsewhere. I just saw that story the other day, Doc. Quick 20 seconds on that.
5: Uh, Scientists have called this the greatest chemical threat to the human population in the twenty first century.
1: Dun dun dun. We're gonna have to have you back yeah. to talk and talk about we're that because doing I'm terrified. A-
5: absolutely nothing about it.
1: Okay. Forever chemicals. We'll we'll have you all back and talk about that. Check tonight's show notes for links to Heal Utah and Utah Physicians for a healthy environment. Nick, I've got one more conversation to share with you tonight. Earlier today I zoomed with Dr. Morgan lioncotti of the Hinckley Institute of Politics to get her read on day two of the Utah legislative session. Here we go.
3: Hello, Radioactive listeners. Happy to be with you again. My name is Morgan Lyon-Coddy. I'm the associate director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics.
1: And in that role, one of the things that you get to do, especially against the backdrop of the new legislative session, is you manage local and legislative internships. So what's the new season like for your interns on Utah's
3: Capitol Hill? They are on day two. They're already very busy. Uh, We, between the University of Utah and the other institutions of higher ed, we send about 100 interns up to the Hill each year. Most of them are working for legislators, um, some in other positions, and we get to train all of them. I spent all of last week with them, letting them know what they're going to be doing during the session and getting them ready to drink from the fire hose that is the Utah State, the 45 day session of the Utah State Legislature.
1: Is this one of the pipelines into politics in our community, these types of internships, but specifically the Hinckley Institute of Politics internship?
3: It can be, and I will, I'll broaden that a little bit to say a pipeline to public service. There are plenty of legislators up there or people in other positions that have done Hinckley internships, and we love when people throw their hat in the ring, uh, but there are far more. Uh, When I'm walking around the Capitol and I see former interns or people that I interned with over 20 years ago, uh, people who are working in state government or federal government or for nonprofits, uh, people that just got the itch and wanted to make a difference and found their way in public service.
1: Excellent. We'll put a link in the show notes, folks, so you can check out the Hinckley Institute and the internships if you want to recommend them for an up-and-comer as they start to look at education and internship opportunities. But Morgan, I also wanted to pick your brain on day two of the legislative session. Uh, In preparation, I said I want to talk about Gerke's column, Robert Gerke, Salt Lake Tribune columnist, who said, here's what legislators should do, here's what they will do, and one of his concerns is that they'll be taking the temperature of national politics as opposed to really focusing on what's happening in our community. And I wanted to get your your read, given your background, the political analysis and research you do. You have a Ph.D. in poli sci from George Washington University, so this is something you pay attention to, I'm guessing.
3: It is something to pay attention to, and it's something I've been immersed in really all of my life. Uh, it's interesting. You used to hear the phrase "all politics are local." Uh, You'd hear members of Congress, you'd hear presidents say that, talking about how important the issues, the local issues are. And I'm hearing more and more people say all politics are national. Because even if you sometimes, even running for these really local city positions, people still want to know what are your thoughts about insert big national issue here, um, whether that's an impeachment or abortion or how many justices should sit on the Supreme Court. Um, and there's a few reasons for this. You could talk about cable news. You could talk about all these other things. But when it comes to our state legislature, uh, one of the things that a lot of people are watching are this is this idea of model legislation. And certain advocacy groups, think tanks, have done a really nice job. Uh, they recognized we're not having any luck in Congress. Let's go after these state legislatures. And so they literally have draft mock legislation that they propose to state legislators. And quite often, these are these hot-button issues. You can apply them to your state. And they play well, especially with very partisan voters. So there's a lot of reasons why we can say that all politics are national. um, But this is one case where we can see it very plainly in our state legislatures. So is this just the evolution of the game that is politics, what do, you, what do you think about that? I actually think that may be an interesting way to frame it. And I think we have to be careful that it's not that this is the end point of this evolution, right? There's politics, the way we make laws, the way all of this works is always changing. We always have our ebbs and flows. We always see the pendulum swing from one side to the other. I think this is certainly a place where we are and it's something a lot of people are trying to wrap their arms around. We've seen conservative groups be far more successful with capitalizing on some of these national issues. Um, some of the more progressive or left-of-center groups are still trying to wrap their heads around how they do this. They're not even playing catch-up. They're trying to figure out how to jump in. Um, I think that's part of it. And then there's also, also part of this is, you know, reading Gerke's column and thinking about how we're going to be dealing with these some of these very emotional Uh, sort of culture war issues in an odd-numbered year is something we would not have seen in the past. You certainly saw culture war divisive issues in the past, uh, but a lot of times they were during election years when they were really trying to message to voters. But now it's just sort of this constant stream of these types of issues and bills.
1: Well, we're in a super conservative state. There's a super majority of Republicans, Democratic Party... uh ineffectual in large part as an opposition party. Um, And I'm kind of curious if you think, like you said, we're in in an odd year, an off year. Is this where the pendulum might, could swing back from the supermajority if they take it too far, if they accrue too much power to themselves, if they overstep, or having just redistricted again for another 10 years and uh, even... Tying down the the power by redistricting even more, do they even need to worry about it?
3: Everyone, this is a constant question of looking at accountability, not just at legislatures but at state legislatures, but also at the federal level. Um, looking at turnover, how safe incumbents are. Uh, in the Utah state legislature, we do have a fair amount of turnover, but it's usually voluntary. It's usually people resigning or not running again. Uh, both Republicans and Democrats have. Very safe seats in this state. There's only a few so called swing uh, seats. Um, and Democrats are always sort of looking for that window of like, is now the time? Is this our window to, you know, eat into the supermajority? I really don't see that happening anytime in the next decade. Um, that said, Democrats in Utah are far more effective legislators than some of their. Um, I would say minority, whether they're Republican or Democrat counterparts in other states, uh, they have really figured out how to work within this supermajority, co sponsor legislation, push through some agenda items that are really important to them. And some say it's because of the batch of legislators are very effective. And some of those legislators will even say, We're not a threat. We're such a small, we're a super minority, as Brian King likes to say, Representative Brian King. Um, So we're not a threat. So we can push some of our issues through. I always think that's interesting.
1: All right. We just have a few more minutes here. Morgan Lancotti, Utah Hinckley Institute of Politics, which is now home to Utah Women Run. Can you briefly summarize the history of this
3: program and what's coming up for it? Utah Women Run, formerly known as Real Women Run, is a nonpartisan group that seeks to train and empower women to engage more fully in public life. Whether that means there's an issue you really care about, but you don't know how to contact your local uh, public official, elected official, or advocate, or you want to run for office, you know there's an incumbent you want to challenge, or there's an open seat. We have the trainings, the resources that you need, and we actually have a training this Saturday uh, at the Hinckley Institute from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., and you can go to hinckley.utah.edu to learn more about that and to register for that as well. We hope to see as many people there as possible. Is it strictly for women? It's not. We have men come. We have men that are just interested in learning. We have some men who are helping to run friends' campaigns and want to know how things work from that female perspective and some of the issues on the campaign trail that largely affect women more than they affect men. Um, So really all are welcome. And that's Morgan Lyoncotti of the
1: University of Utah's Hinckley Institute of Politics. Check tonight's show notes for a link as well to Utah Women Run and the winter training that is happening this weekend. They hold them every so often. And it's a great uh, organization to go and check out if you just have questions about running for office maybe you're not ready but you want to know how it works maybe you want to find some campaigns where you get your feet wet helping out so do check that out also put the uh, info and rallies and resources but uh, Nick Burns, that's our show and i'm yeah. kind of curious after this hour we've talked to some folks who are boots on the ground trying to get uh everyone else our listeners included Involved in this most public of processes, the general session of the Utah legislature.
2: Yeah, and, and one thing that we didn't mention tonight is the Utah legislative session is the smallest or among the shortest yeah. in the nation. So Lexi from Heal, Utah, was talking about a thousand bills in thousand. 45 days with citizen.
1: Do we have that much we need to fix, is my question?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, if. It depends who you talk to. You know, for many people, we need to fix trans kids. Uh-huh. We need to fix this. We need to fix the yeah. other. Oh. If if they just would take care of um, what's really going on and what mm. really needs help, like the Great Salt Lake, uh-huh. we wouldn't need a thousand bills. But, but the point is, the lobbyists have the ear of the legislature. They fund the lunches and on and on and on. But that doesn't mean ordinary citizens can't also be heard. So when I hear about lobbying efforts, when I hear about getting involved up on the Hill, going to hearings going to committees that's how it should be and yeah. there's sh- you know and again not everyone can do that but for folks who can and for folks mm-hmm. like at heal utah and healthy um environment and dr utah <laughs> for- physicians, physicians for a healthy, for healthy environment. environment i forgot the acronym i'm sorry <laughs> for people who can be involved it's really wonderful yeah. and shout out to us here laura because we're a place where we can have an hour to talk about it. We
1: can amplify those voices and happy to do so. If you've got something you want to shout out or an organization you think we should have on, uh, whether it's a legislature or an other issue, radioactive at krcl.org. And I thought I'd play a song for everybody who's, Going to go okay. up and, uh, to the People's House. And Nick Burns, uh, this is for you as well. Thank you for being a volunteer here on the show with us. Oh, hit me up. A little Earth, Wind, and Fire shining star on KRCL 90.9. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye, Nick.
2: Bye. Democracy Now! is next.
0: KRCL 90.9 FM, be? HD1 in Salt Lake City, Ogden, and Provo. FM in Park City, on the web at krcl.org. Listener supported, community radio.
1: Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.